Hey, this is Chip from Rosa, and you are listening to Beyond the Box Podcast. Hi, I'm Rayburn Johnson. And I'm Steve Sensenick. And this is Beyond the Box. Here's your invitation to explore life outside the box of institutional religion. This is a place where there are no walls to restrict our search for truth as we embrace the ambiguity of defining our life in Christ. So unbuckle your seatbelt, recline your chair, throw caution to the wind, and get ready for the ride that is Beyond the the Box. Welcome back to Beyond the Box, everyone. It is so good to be back with you today. Um, today, I am going to be joined once again by Brad Jerzak from Vancouver, British Columbia, or Abbotsford, British Columbia. Brad has become just a great fan, friend of the podcast and of myself, and I've just really enjoyed getting to know him. Just a really wonderful guy. Just I really believe he has a heart for the Lord and has a tremendous amount of insight into what it means to live in Christ. And so just really appreciate Brad's heart. I think you're going to love this podcast. Brad was recently asked to do um, some journalistic work, I guess you would call it. He was asked to cover the Christ at the Checkpoint seminar, which was in uh, Bethlehem, Israel, actually, talking about some of the Middle East peace issues, talking to both Palestinians, to Jews, to people of all persuasions in that debate and really trying to figure out how peace and reconciliation can come to the Middle East. So Brad was there to cover that and really got a lot of um, really neat opportunities to connect with Palestinians, with Jews, and to really talk about the hard issues surrounding this whole conflict. But also um, in this conversation, we were able to dovetail it a lot into talking about what it even means to be a disciple of Jesus, to follow Jesus. What does it mean to embrace the other, to love the other, the one that's different than us, the one that we disagree with? Just a really great conversation. I think you guys are going to enjoy it. So I'm going to get myself out of the way and let's hear that roller coaster and let's get right into the conversation. Well, I am delighted to welcome Brad Jerzak back to the podcast today. Brad, it is so good to have you back with us. Thanks. It's good to hear your voice again. Well, thanks for joining us. I always enjoy our conversations, and from the comments that we get from our listeners, it seems like everyone else does too. So um, hopefully this will resonate with people as much as everything else we've done so far. (laughs) Give it a go anyway. (laughs) We're going to give it a go. Um, You and I have been talking just off and on for several months about a lot of different issues. But one thing that I found interesting was that I guess it was what, maybe a couple of months ago, you mentioned something about that you were going to be going to Israel and it was on the tails of an, of another trip that you were doing. And so I didn't really get a lot of details about it. And then after you got back, um, we started talking about a podcast conversation and I started realizing a little more about what it was that you were doing while you were in Israel um, it seems like you were at a seminar entitled Christ at the Checkpoint. Can you tell us a little bit about what you were doing there and, and what this conference was all about? Sure. I was uh, I was sent there by a magazine 
to report on the conference. So I wasn't I wasn't a speaker or anything like that. I w- I got to do my first tour as a foreign correspondent. So that was fun. Very and, cool. Yeah, sort of one of those life uh, childhood life dreams, you know. And uh, what they were asking for was that I would attend and do some articles and get photos around my experiences at this Christ at the Checkpoint conference. And this was a conference sponsored by the Bethlehem Bible College. And uh, we met in Bethlehem at a beautiful hotel with a myriad of amazing speakers, uh, some from the West that you'd recognize, like Shane Claiborne or Tony Campolo or a guy named uh, Gary Burge, who's a scholar from Wheaton College. And then, of course, uh, Bethlehem Bible College are are uh, Palestinian Christians who are training pastors there of all brands of Christianity, but the general tone of the school is evangelical. Okay. And uh, they invited us in, uh, you know, for conversation. And the amazing thing to me was, was the level of volatility beforehand. I, I saw all of these websites and articles attacking the conference as if I was going to this anti-Semitic thing. I, and uh, huh. and they were talking about it being like anti-Israel and this conspiracy against Israel and just uh, that putting hatred on, and I'm like, I know Claiborne and Campolo better than that. I know that. And uh, the other accusation was that it was going to be one-sided and there'd be no Christian Zionists or Zionists represented. And um, in fact, that wasn't true at all. And they they did have uh, an amazing array of speakers who even disagreed with each other, but with such a tone of respect. And it was really a model for dialogue. So I headed into this thing being warned that I was going to be deceived by this one-sided conversation when in fact <laughs> I got there and I just heard all these amazing uh, narratives, a multiplicity of narratives from Christians and Jews and Palestinians on every side of the situation, uh, not just at the conference, but in, in uh, experiences and interviews that they would facilitate for us throughout the week in various parts of the West Bank, especially. Mm, mm. So now uh, Christ at the checkpoint, uh, a lot of us are ignorant as to what's going on in the West Bank, what's going on with the, I mean, we all know that there's an Israeli Palestinian conflict over, over the land. And, you know, is there going to be a two state solution? All of these questions. Tell us a little bit about what the checkpoint is, though, and why this is such a, you know, why why would we have a whole seminar named after the checkpoint? What is that all about, Brad? Well, the checkpoint is is referring to those places where uh, the Israeli military has set up checkpoints and really uh, turnstiles and so on that the Palestinian population needs to go through. Um, and this is not to get from, let's say, um, a, a Palestinian area into a, an Israeli area. This would be, if you live in Bethlehem, you are walled in. And if you work in Bethlehem, you have to go through this turnstile early in the morning, hour, and hour, hour and a half lineup just to go to work. When you come out, you're going back to your own, you may be going back to your own home, or, but... but uh, let's say it's a Palestinian area uh, 
uh, A and Palestinian Area B, uh, and one area is maybe where the Palestinian Authority are are arranging for policing, and the other area is another Palestinian area that the Israeli military are policing. So this is all within the West Bank, and and the dilemma for the Palestinians is anytime they want to go somewhere, the, uh, this this security wall that's been raised. Um, cuts them off, and it's a regular part of the life, their life, that the only Jews they ever meet are the soldiers at the checkpoint. Mm, mm. Now, the name of the, and that's also where the flashpoints can be, uh, a real tension. And uh, from the Israeli side, they want peace and security. From the Palestinian side, they want freedom and rights. And these are all justice words, and they're justice words that clash at the checkpoints. The point of the conference was, if that's the only place we're going to meet, then then we need to meet Christ there so that uh, we can collectively, whether you're Jewish, Palestinian, Christian, or Muslim, uh, that, that you can collectively change enemies and say en- the enemy is not the other person. The enemy is hatred. The enemy is mm. death. The enemy is violence. Uh, the enemy is anything that... that is a barrier to reconciliation and to just peacemaking. Mm. So this was the whole uh, point of the conference was to say, let's, instead of having us, them being Palestinian versus Israeli or Zionist versus whatever, uh, let's, let's find the Jews, Muslims, and Christians who will all at the grassroots level embrace Jesus uh, teaching on nonviolence and love of enemy. So the mm. true enemy is, is, is not flesh and blood, but principalities, powers, and authorities that enforce violence. Um, that was the tone of the whole thing, and and really like this this the flashpoint uh, where you get to meet and then love your supposed enemy is these checkpoints. So this is real rubber meets the road type stuff for the whole message of nonviolence. I mean, this is, we're not talking about loving the guy who's, you know, uh, whose branches happen to fall across the fence line on your property. I mean, this is, this is big time stuff here. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's like, can we love the person who's from this, um, this other group who is responsible for my child being killed, you know, man, or can we love this person, uh, who, who seems to humiliate me every single day just as I'm trying to get to the hospital or to my school. or, And so these are actual enemies, <laughs> uh, wow. hateful, violent people, except, wait a minute, what if we befriended them? What if we loved them? What if we forgave them? And I met just the most amazing Jewish people and Muslim people and Christians, all um, absolutely committed to the Sermon on the Mount. Mm, that's the, mm. that's the only hope, and that that's what they told us. They said the only hope for this place is that people will embrace Jesus' message of the Sermon on the Mount, which wow. is hard to do unless you're also in relationship with Jesus. Because what happens is you can you can try the nonviolence thing in your own strength for a while, but that gets old and it wears out, and you think mm. this isn't working, and then you go back to whatever your default mode is, mm. and so. Um, uh, for me, uh, part of it was I just felt a real despair around the whole thing. It's like, this won't work if, if we're just, like, 
talking ideology. We're, we're going to have to bow to Jesus at some point, or it's mm. only going to get worse. Wow. Now, now you talked, um, <clears throat> excuse me, you sent a series of three articles that you wrote for the magazine that you were um, being a correspondent for. Yep. And I remember, I think it was in the first article you sent me, um, you talked about having surrendered lenses, that that the word the Lord gave to you before you went was that you needed to have surrendered lenses, which I'm assuming that means two things. That means a, that obviously like all of us would, you've got some presuppositions going in that the Lord's asking you to overlook, but B that you need to be willing to, to um, compromise those presuppositions and rethink them if necessary. But back and even up before that, I know you mentioned that you had come from a, um, I think your words were disp- uh, sur- suburban dispensationalism, <laughs> which I got a real kick out of. I, I, I came from the same background. So, and uh, I think as we look at the majority of the church in the West, I think it's pretty safe to say that the majority of the Western church, at least when it comes to eschatology, holds to some form of dispensationalism right now, which hasn't really been the case long-term only around what 150 years or so. Yeah. Um, can now you in tell case us? You're, yeah. We should explain what that means. Hey? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, 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 and we'll, we'll get into that. I, I just wanted to, maybe you could set up maybe the history of your own thoughts about Israel, maybe from childhood to, to adulthood. And then during and after this trip, maybe some of the, some of the thoughts that you, that you, um, had previously thought and thought afterwards. Yeah, that's very good. Yeah, so I've gone through these phases here. Um, as you said, when I was growing up as a little kid, uh, this this idea that uh, that the second coming was any day and that we needed to be prepared for uh, a rapture uh, that would also um, uh, trigger the end where there would be a literal Armageddon in the land of Israel, where there would be a rallying point of the enemies of God. There, all of this stuff, I was, uh, I was really nursed on that, <laughs> and and bought into it. And it wasn't like we were all these what you think of maybe now as the rabid Christian Zionists. It was sort of more like the default mode. This is just yeah. what you believe, and. And so we wouldn't even have identified ourselves with that. We would have just absolutely assumed it. So by the time I'm seven years old, my parents have bought me a globe. And the most important thing on the globe was Israel. So I mm. colored in Israel on my globe and <laughs> regretted it because then I couldn't see any of the stuff. In <laughs> and then also, by the way, this went with it was we also need to know where Cuba was and to know that it was the dirtiest place in the world. It's like, what's wow. that about? And it was directly, uh, it was directly about tying in the communist capitalist systems into the end times, and that it, you know, so so Israel's a big deal, uh, uh, America versus Russia or USSR at the time was a big deal. All of that. Then, uh, what what you throw into that then is we were taught. You know, by the time I was eight, I knew all these scriptures about the Battle of Gog and Magog and the armies from the north coming, and we were told that's going to be the Soviets, and they're going to attack Israel. And uh, and that's horrible, but it's also good, because it means Jesus is returning. Mm. And um, mm. this is the late great planet Earth era, you know, with Hal Lindsey and all those guys. 
And so when the Yom Kippur War happened, that was in, what was that, 73? That's the Six-Day um, War? Is that what, I think that's right. That's earlier. That's in uh, 60, the late 60s. Oh, but, 67. So, that's right. I'm yeah, sorry. yeah. I'm getting those confused. So the Yom Kippur War was the next one. And, and what happened was Israel was so, they were attacked during Yom Kippur, which is one of their feast holidays. And, but in their counterattack, their tanks actually crossed all the way over the Suez Canal, and they were like 60 miles out of Cairo. And I'm hmm. hearing this as an eight-year-old. I'm going, this is awesome, because this means like, <laughs> Jesus no coming soon. <laughs> exactly. So I'm, I'm, like, I'm calculating, okay, well, he's got to be coming next week. This is, wow. I, and I'm so excited, right? Well, you go through that a few times, <laughs> go through that for a few decades, but by the time the Left Behind books came along, you kind of are very jaded and rolling your eyes. And But it, 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 it's not just that I came to this idea, oh, it's not this time, it'll be next time. It's like, no, it's not this at all. This isn't how mm. it works. <laughs> mm. So so there's that theological thing that happened for me, but also I ended up, uh, marrying into the Mennonites, and I was a pastor with them for 10 years. Hmm. And they had a way of, they had a different way of coming into this. Some of them were also dispensationalists. They, you know, Jesus is coming any day, and we're waiting for revival, and we're waiting for all, all of that stuff. But at the same time, they had this intense social conscience where they're saying, hang on a second. Um, it's not that simple. It's like, our agenda as Christians is not to make sure that Israel is victorious over enemy. Our agenda as Christians is to follow Jesus. <laughs> and, mm. and when Jesus says, love your enemies, and when Jesus says, uh, bless those who persecute you, and when, you know, when, when Jesus says we need to follow in the way of peace and justice, that matters. And so I'm listening to this. Now, you know, I'm in my mid-20s by then, and I, so I'm, I'm already quarter of a century I've been one a uh, card carrying Zionist and and then I sent one of uh, one of my youth group over with MCC the Mennonite Central Committee to do some relief and development work and when she came back she blew my grid name's Deanna and Deanna said here's what I saw with my own eyes I saw atheist Jews who don't believe in God at all bulldozing mm. a Christian Palestinian elementary school wow. under the name that uh, of, uh, you know, the, they're, they're training up terrorists to hate us and destroy us. And mm. as, as atheists, so on the one hand, it's like Jews bulldozing Palestinian elementary school. At the same time, it's like atheists bulldozing a Christian school. And, and somehow saying, you're and the, supposed to be lining up with the atheists. <laughs> right, right. And she's saying, and the, the, the worst part was the Christians back home in North America are cheering. Wow. This is part of God's plan for the second coming and the end times. Wow. And, and so I'm like, what do I do with this information? And in fact, hmm. it's information that I found back then. And now with the things I was an eyewitness of or, or uh, you know, uh, a witness of is the... the that these other things that were going on, they're not welcome news because mm. now you're messing with our theology. Now you're messing with the destiny of Israel. Now you're messing with the, the Bible and its promises. And I'm like, well, wow. 
hang on, you know. So I, before I even went over there, I had, I had visited with some Palestinians who had their homes taken from them and they were occupied. These are Christians who are rejected by other Christians just because they're Palestinian, as, as if they're, you know, and they're like, by the way, we don't like being called Muslims when, we, when we've been Christians for 10 generations oh my before goodness. Muhammad even was born. You know? Wow. Wow. So I, so I was starting to switch sides. The problem is when I got to Israel, that's a good problem, it, is that I'm realizing sides is the whole problem. We've right. Got, <laughs> you know? And so what good does it do me to, if I go from being a right-wing Christian Zionist who's pro-Israel and all they do to being a, a radical, fundamentalist, left-wing, pro-Palestinian, who's just, mm. now I've just changed enemies, I've changed sides, but I haven't changed my heart. Wow. What the conference did for me was, was it put me um, face-to-face in meal conversations with, with, with different points of view among Palestinians who don't agree with each other, and then different mm. Jews who don't agree with each other, and Christians who don't agree with each other. And then even in their disagreement, they could say, uh, could, we, could we agree on some basic principles like um, don't kill anybody who worships <laughs> the God of Abraham? <laughs> you know? Wow, wow, and, and, wow. And... Could we agree on this, that, that violence doesn't solve violence and that mm. injustice doesn't make a place more secure? And, and I, what I discovered over there was there was quite a grassroots consensus about what they want and what, what will work and what won't work. And uh, I'll tell you, I've, when I've tried to share that on this side of the ocean, uh, I have run into tantrums. And wow. hatred, and I'm like, um, let's say from, let's say from Jews, and I'm saying, but I'm telling you what the Jews told me who live there, wow. <laughs> or from Christians, and I'll say, but I'm telling you what the Christians told me, and from Zionists, I'm like, but I talked to the Zionists there, and here's what wow. they're saying. So it's like on the ground over there, there's a, there really is a hunger and a desire for peace and and for justice even across the spectrum, and, and it tells me the spectrum's a lie. And so that's yeah. a big revelation I've been getting. Wow. Well, that, you, you mentioned something interesting. You, you were talking about the different narratives that were there. And I know you mentioned in one of your articles yes. um, about, you know, narratives are the stories that we tell ourselves. They're the, they're the stories that we, that we design to either you know, hide our secret agenda or to justify our secret agenda. Yeah. Um, or maybe it's not so secret after all. I guess it's not really secret when you're on the steps at Capitol Hill protesting Washington, is it? <laughs> I guess yeah, that, yeah. I guess that kind of takes it out of the realm of being secret. But I found that interesting. You're talking about these different narratives and how really one of the problems is, is that no one's listened to someone else's narrative, that we've only bought into our narrative without ever even hearing an alternative narrative. Can yeah. you tell us a little bit about some of the stories that were that, that you encountered with different Palestinians who saw things different ways, different Jews, different Christians? Yeah, I would love to. Um, that was, for me, the most amazing part of the, of the trip was hearing 
uh, first of all, these fractured narratives and then finding a new axes to orbit around together. So mm. first of mm. all, the, these, this multiplicity of narratives that, um, well, let's see, I'll start with, uh, with the Jewish ones. Uh, now, remember, I was going in having to consciously surrender some of my lenses about a, a bitterness towards what has happened to Palestinian friends of mine. Right. Uh, and to really listen afresh uh, to the Jewish stories and really have to emphasize stories, you know, plural, because uh, uh, it, it was quite a range. So I'm going to give you the extremes of the range. I got to meet um, and, and listen to a settlement Jew. We would call him an ideological settler. And that means somebody who has come to, to purposely live in Palestinian territory uh, to create settlements that the United Nations uh, say are illegal, to expand those even when there's treaties not to. And, and, um, and so this fellow's name is Arby, and he is... He's a spokesman for one of the large settlements there, uh, probably 35,000 people. Let, let me just ask you real quick, just to make sure yeah. I understand. So this this is a guy who's kind of there trying to trying to say, no matter what these treaties say or whatever, I believe this is Israel's territory, so I'm going to camp right in the middle of the Palestinians just to prove it. Is that kind of what he's doing? Exactly. And he okay. would not, he, he, he wouldn't uh, even argue that. He would say that's that's fair. He would say it's our land. Right, and, right, okay. And so, and and although you can have a picture of a little settlement camped in the middle of all this Palestinian territory, the rea- reality is that territory is run by the Israeli military, mm-hmm. and you have big settlements of 30,000 Jews, multiple ones, surrounding little farms with their <laughs> Palestinian farms. So, that, I mean, they've really moved in there. So they'll be like this, like one little Palestinian family or, or maybe 10 families, and they'll be like all of these Jews surrounding them? That can, It can be like that. Uh, it wow. depends where you are, right? I I was at one farm where where um, uh, they have title to the land. The, the Palestinian farmers have title to the land. They've got this uh, olive grove that surrounds them that belongs to them. And then I could I could see five settlements from that hill. And a sixth one going in, and then wow. below one of the uh, below one of those settlements, I could see another a little um, Palestinian village, and so so. Uh, no wonder thing, it's so volatile. Good night. Yeah, and so the way wow. it works, and then they would. I could also see one settlement. They called it an illegal illegal settlement. That is, not only does the United Nations regard it as illegal, but even the Israeli government does, and it makes a good wow. PR thing because they can go and uh, extract the people from that settlement over and over and over, saying, see, we're, we're moving people out. Wow. So Arby's point was, look, at we you have to remember, um, 15 years ago, there were, there were bus bombs going off in Israeli cities. You know, you'd be out for coffee, and a car bomb would go off, and all these civilians would be killed. So you have to remember, we... All the, all the tension around rocket attacks, and you never knew when a rocket attack was going to come. Uh, mm-hmm. On the other hand, like come from and where to and all of that, those are issues. But he called it a defense wall. He said, yeah, we're not this wall that they're putting up. It's a necessary evil. We don't like it. We're not proud of it. But it's a protection from the violent Islamists who used to regularly bomb us, and now they don't. 
Mm. So, mm. but then he also said, uh, you know, they're also massively armed. Every one of the settlers in, in his city supposedly is armed. Plus for every settler, there's a number of, of uh, Israeli soldiers who are responsible to protect them from the settlers. Wow. And uh, he said, you need to remember this. You, you think love will work here, but that's Christianity. Christianity is based on love. Judaism is not. Judaism is based on the law. And th- this is a this is a Jew telling you this. This is a radical ideological Jewish settler, yeah, from My Chicago, goodness. by the way. <laughs> wow, who's, who's immigrated there? Many, many American Jews moving because there's like the ideology, but there's also financial incentives to do it. So they're and, moving there for the express purpose, all the way from the United States to, to well, for the financial kickbacks, but also to prove the point that this land belongs to us. Not just prove the point, but actually take the land. There's, it, wow. It's a way to take the land. And so that wow. was, now I'm sounding critical of it, but that it was his point of view. And so right. to be wow. fair to him, it's our land. To be fair to him, God gave us this land. To be fair right. to him, right. he promised us this land, and it's ours wow. to take. And we're not just uh, doing genocide. We're, we're building settlements, right? So he's, that's where he's coming from. Now, the other extreme was so amazing because that's not all I heard from Israeli Jews. Um, two that I want to mention. One guy um, uh, named an Israeli soldier. He was a master sergeant. He was honorably discharged after his service. Okay, we, we lost you there for just a couple seconds. Yeah. What was his name one more time? Mika. Mika, okay. Mika, yeah. And so he was a He's a former Israeli soldier who came out of the military in an honorable discharge. So it's not like he was kicked out or something. He did his service. And then and then he started a movement called Breaking the Silence. Hmm. And Breaking the Silence was an opportunity for Israeli soldiers who had taken part in what he called war crimes and injustices hmm. during the occupation uh, or during this occupation of, of the West Bank. And that's his language for it. Mm. And he said, uh, you know, out of their guilt and trauma, they wanted to create a venue where the soldiers could, could basically confess what they had done, their wow. complicity in oppression, and, and hoping that, um, that by making public the things that were happening that so many Jews in Israel don't even know are going on. And, and uh, especially when it's, like in in a place like Hebron where he was stationed, Hebron is a is a large it's it, it's a it's a Palestinian city, and right in the middle of it, um, they they've planted a little Jewish settlement, and mm. and and his first his first day on the job, he was taken down to the Palestinian market and said, now your job is to keep peace and order here. And it's like, okay, it's just a market. What what do we do? And they didn't tell him anything except just watch. So him and his rookie buddies are standing there, and and all of a sudden there's a huge commotion in the market. And he, what Mika told me was uh, he saw four very large Jewish settler women running around the middle of the market. One of them was smashing pots and pottery off of the shelves of the, of the uh, marketplace and breaking the oh, wow. stuff. Another woman uh, was running around swatting people in the head 
another woman was uh, had her rolling pin and was literally striking people. <laughs> now his orders were: if any Palestinian touches an Israeli uh, settler, your your job is to you have you know, here's your choice: you can shoot the Palestinian, or you can arrest them, handcuff them, blindfold them, and take them to jail. My and he goes, that's the first day. He's like, what the heck is going on here? So, and also they had explicit orders. You're not to touch any women, especially not settlers, right? So wow. he's, he's, he's trying to, to literally put his body between the, the two sides to keep the peace, knowing that he can't touch them. But by the time it was done, the place was a mess. I mean, there's people laying, one guy laying on the floor with his broken nose and from the rolling pin and all this, and he goes, what, what is going on? That's that's the least of sort of the injustices he told me about or the kind of wow. crazy-making that was involved there. But, and this is like an everyday type occurrence that was yeah, going on. Yeah, well, and especially, and that's the thing, it's not always... Um, events like that, it's like day-to-day uh, atmosphere of hostility. Yeah. Uh, I was in that wow. same area where every day the children who try to go to school and back are are abused and, and attacked or assaulted and insulted. So now you've got people coming from Norway and the UK on what they call accompaniment programs. And you go in for six months at a time just to walk the kids to and from school. That is amazing. So, wow. Um, now, my point about this is when I shared this in Vancouver, I, I, got, I drew a lot of fire, and I just want to say this. A Jew told me this. This was not like Palestinian um, or left-wing or, you know, extreme whatever uh, propaganda. This is an Israeli soldier who served faithfully to defend his country. And wow. he's telling me, what do you expect will happen when Man. when you put children in charge of controlling a civilian population in their own territory? What do you expect oh. will happen when a 19-year-old is conscripted into the army and they have to stand there every day well, 500 people go through the checkpoint. Man. 1,000 people go through the checkpoint. He says, at first you try to be nice. And then after a couple hundred, it's like, move it along, move it along. And then after 500, it's like, get out of my face. And then after 1,000, it's like, I have a gun and you don't. So, you know. Wow. And, um, and uh, so they have a website online called... Um, breaking the silence and i think they've had up to upwards of a thousand soldiers now give their testimonies wow i want to tell you about one other guy a jewish guy in the narrative he, this is a, a guy named jeff helpers um amazing guy started the israeli committee against house demolitions now when the farm that i visited had settlers come down and tear out 250 of their olive trees that you know, this is a grove that they've been running for hundreds of years. Just tore them out, destroyed them. Man. It was it was Israelis who came and replanted them. Wow. Uh, the, this guy led a group of Jews called the Israelis Against House Demolitions. 
to, to repair what had been broken and try to make peace and to stand in solidarity with anybody who's a victim of injustice. So it's this big, you know, this big Jewish guy with his big old white beard. And he, he, I saw a photo of him. He literally placed his body on a caterpillar blade said, if you're going to demolish that house, you'll have to squish a Jew to do it. Oh my goodness. It's incredible. You know? So I heard that narrative too. So everything from the ideological settler to the ex-soldier to the uh, wow. to, to the, the, this old Jewish guy that's saving houses because it's the right thing to do. Wow. So to say, well, whose whose side are you on? It's like I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I'm on I'm, I'm not on the side of the people who are promoting peace and justice, I guess. Yeah. And the best ones I met were Jews. And wow. I don't mean like messianic Jews. I mean Jews, Jews, you know. Wow. But they're like the prophets in the land speaking out against the authorities and the powers, just like Jesus did. Mm, man. Yeah. Which really raises a lot of <laughs> that raises a whole nother set of questions that that would probably be a whole nother podcast about yeah. about um, you know the idea that Christians are the only ones who are performing God's will. <laughs> you know, yeah. I mean, there's that's. Uh, that's a whole nother conversation for a whole nother time, but yeah, it's just amazing to think when you know I've watched all sorts of documentaries about Christian Zionism in America, yeah, and to hear some of the rhetoric coming out of some of these people's mouths mm-hmm. uh, while simultaneously saying Jesus is their mm-hmm. Lord, and then to see a Jew actually go and lay their their body on a caterpillar blade to keep from destroying a Palestinian home. It just makes you go, gosh, who is really, you know, is it really about what you believe in your head or is it about what you're doing? I mean, it's, you know, it's, yeah, it raises a lot of questions. Or what do you do with your body, right? Yeah, <laughs> it, may, it raises a lot of questions when it comes to, you know, um, is it the person whose quote unquote theology is right or is it the person who's actually living out the message of Jesus, whether or not they acknowledge him as Lord? I mean, it's just, it raises yeah. a lot of questions for me. Yeah. Well, and actually, that's a good segue to some of the Palestinian narratives, because, first of all, not all Palestinians are are, are Muslim. Um, there's a core group of Palestinian Christians, and they're they're suffering there um, dramatically, and, um, and they're saying we're not suffering first and foremost as Christians at the hands of Muslims. We're suffering as people, as, as Palestinians, uh, um, because of this wall here and because of being cut off from our hospitals, our schools, and our workplaces of work, we're suffering mm-hmm. here because our olive groves are being demolished. Or, or, you know, so it's, they, con- they consider themselves a persecuted church, but for some, mainly for political reasons. And unfortunately, half of them have left and they mm. said, we're a small group, but we're like salt. We're very, very tasty. <laughs> mm. But they mm. said, what, what will happen to this land when you remove all the living stones from it? Wow. Because, because they see themselves as living stones in the new temple that Jesus has erected. And mm. he, he established that temple in the Holy Land. They've been faithfully being living stones of that temple. But when you have even like Christians from North America saying, you should leave there because that's not yours. They're like, wow, we've been having regular church services in this church since 322 A.D. What do you mean? Oh, my you know? <laughs> goodness. Wow. And so, 
and, and this includes evangelicals, Roman Catholics, and uh, and East Orthodox um, wow. across the board. So you've got this Christian population that says, "Please go back to North America and tell them we exist," and that it, it's very hurtful to us when we're when we feel abandoned and rejected as brothers and sisters in Christ, or forgotten, or not not acknowledged because of you know some other end times prophecy agenda and it was this, mm. it was these guys that said you guys are so into prophecy you've ceased to be prophetic oh Ouch. wow that's good wow <laughs> it was, that's a zinger right? i tweeted that one wow right <laughs> man and um huh. and they're leading the way in refusing to hate and i heard over and over you know I've heard over and over again over here how, how dangerous and hateful and murderous Palestinians are. I'm telling you, I looked for that, and I, and it probably exists, and I know there's been rocket attacks again from Gaza and all that, but I'm just saying the people I met um, were absolutely committed uh, to nonviolence, and I don't even just mean the Christians. So mm-hmm. I meet these Muslims over there who are saying, we're, we've, been, we've been trying... Um, Jesus way of nonviolence. And in fact, one guy that I met there, he has led a nonviolent protest every Friday at noon for six years. No one from his protest has ever thrown a rock or struck a soldier, uh, even though many of them have been uh, shot or, and and killed with like, let's say uh, tear gas canisters and rubber bullets and, and, and sound bombs that are, are misused in an illegal way to actually kill people. So I'm like, why, why do you still do this? I kind of actually feel like these protests have been a waste of time, but I looked at it again. I thought they have built a track record of uh, half a de- over half a decade of trying it the Jesus way. Wow. Um, Boy, that's an indictment on the Western Church, isn't it? Oh, I mean, absolutely. you've got Muslims trying the Jesus way for over five years, and and we're still uh, making sure that you know our our, uh, DVD, <laughs> our DVD collections protected by you know by our shotgun in our closet or whatever. You know, yeah. I mean, it's just wow. Yeah, it, it was crazy. But and then on top of that, I met this wonderful young lady who. Uh, uh, She's a, a practicing Muslim, and she says, I want to give my life for something that counts. She, she works for the Christian peacemaker teams as wow. a Muslim. And she's like, well, I said, you're the best Christian Muslim I've met in a while. <laughs> she, she would absolutely <laughs> say, yeah, I'm, I'm a Muslim, and I, I'm, I'm following Jesus' call to, to be a just peacemaker. Wow. And uh, so she goes out and she stands as a witness near the checkpoints and so on to make sure that um, things don't happen under, you know, without a witness. And sometimes being a witness really reduces the incidence of violence and injustice just because people are watching, right? Just because right. she's standing there with a with an iPhone. Wow. Like, okay. So. Wow. And then, I, you know, we heard from the, the mayor of Bethlehem, we heard from the prime minister of the Palestinian Authority, and they were welcoming us in the name of the Prince of Peace and things like this. And I'm like, wait, oh wait hang on a second. Whoa. Um, first of all, first of all, the, the prime minister is not a Christian, he's a Muslim, but he's saying, he said to the Christ at the checkpoint people, this should be an annual event. 
Well, of course, that just gives ammo to the people who hated the event, because why would a Muslim politician like what they're doing, right? Wow. But the, uh, the um, uh, and then the mayor got up, and I don't know what he was on, but he said, welcome to the birthplace of our Lord Jesus Christ, who was crucified, or born here, crucified, rose on the third day, and is now reigning as the Prince of Peace. Welcome. This I'm is like, the, what? This guy's a Muslim? This guy's the mayor of Bethlehem. I, had, I thought he was going to be a Muslim. A Muslim can't wow. say those things. I'm like, okay, so we've got a Christian here wow. welcoming us to his territory. And then, um, but it, okay, so talking multiple narratives. So I go later that night, with, uh, ran into my old Greek teacher from 25 years ago. He says, <laughs> I need you to meet Vivian. She's an activist over there in fair trade and uh, women's rights. And so I sat down with her and I said, now tell me what it's really about. Tell me what's going on here. And she said, well, first of all, we think the Palestinian Authority are, are an illegitimate government. And we don't believe what the prime minister is doing. He's just corrupt. And all of a sudden, I'm hearing Palestinians being just as self-critical as the Jews had been. Huh. Right? Wow. And saying it's not as simple as oh wahoo we can all jump on the you know prime minister's bandwagon. She's going no you know what actually I don't like Hamas but that's who we voted in. Wow. And uh, these guys are puppets and it's Hamas who've been holding down the um, the ceasefires and it's Hamas who've been working in you know in the daycares and stuff like that. So they have this sort of legitimate authority in the eyes of the people. But they used to be terrorists, and every effort to domesticate them, uh, if it gets opposed by more violence, they'll just lose patience, and sure enough, you know, rockets start going off again. So wow. it's this constant war against war, and are we helping or are we hindering? Mm. And that's where the Christian Zionist kind of um, narratives come in. Well, first of all, Christian. Um, my understanding, you know, is that Christ has called us to a pretty specific um, a call, calling of a, 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 um, just peacemaking. Right. The Sermon on the Mount lifestyles. Um, not only that, but he's forbidden the means of fulfilling the promises to Israel. Uh, he, he, like he's forbidden violent means. He's forbidden forbidden conquest he, that was the whole thing that they missed the point on the first time around it's like how are we making the same mistake again mm. that we mm. think god's promises are fulfilled in a violent hostile bloody takeover of a chunk of land mm. when jesus said all the promises are fulfilled in me so there's wow. that going on and then i have to say this uh, about 150 Zionist Christians showed up at the conference. Wow. They were fantastic. The pastor is the head of, um, their pastor was one of the speakers. He leads, he leads uh, the largest Christian Zionist or Zionist Christian church in Jerusalem. Did you notice I reversed the order of the words there? The Zionist Christians. Zionist huh. Christians and Christian Zionists. And I'm like, uh-oh, we've got more narrative going here, don't we? All right. <laughs> oh, yeah. So... Let me run this one by you. Zionist Christians in Israel don't necessarily appreciate Christian Zionists in America telling them what to do. 
Oh, and wow. coming over with, with Glenn Beck to have rallies, they cringe. They're like, you guys, we're trying to be a light, a light and a witness here, and, and there's they're Zionist Christians in that they do believe that God has some role for the Jews to perform yet, and it's not crushing their enemies, you know? <laughs> it's wow. coming to Christ and being a light and a witness there. So to have people coming over frothing at the mouth and... Uh, in, in uh, waving flags in people's faces and, and disturbing the peace, they're like, "Really, you're helping us? Are you sure? Wow. Maybe wow. just go home." And mm. so, mm. Um, they, that was fascinating to meet to meet Zionists who are on the peace train. What's that? Because yeah, that's that's not an everyday occurrence. That's for sure. <laughs> no, not the ones we know, right? Not the and ones so, we know in the West. Not the ones I was. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that, amen. So, so, um, so there was all these kinds of Christians gathered, all these kinds of Muslims, all these kinds of Jews, and, and it just, I, I thought I kind of knew what was going on there, but. When, when you think there's a few stories and suddenly there's 50 stories, mm. um, what, what you know? How do you regather it all? Well, and and Brad, I think I think one of the things that I'm beginning to learn recently is just how much injustice we do to other people's stories by telling them for them. Yep. You know the fact that the fact that we in the West think that we can tell the Palestinian story and we make it a really linear, um, uh, not a multiplicity of voices, but a real singular linear voice that we call the Palestinian voice. And we do the same thing for the Jews and the same thing yeah. for the Christian Zionists. So I think there's something about, you know, you being able to go and actually hear the narratives come from the people who embrace them rather than someone else who is antagonistic towards them. Yeah, yeah. And, and and you know, I wasn't there long. I'm not I wasn't there long enough to to um it wouldn't even fair for be fair for me to have an opinion. Right, right. But, but exactly. I I was I was there with people who said tell them this, tell them this. And and mm. you know, so the settlers said tell them we the, the, those the bombs were horrible, and that's what we're up to. And the soldier says, tell them this, you know. We used to do mm. horrible things. We do horrible things are done. Uh, the Palestinians are saying, tell them this. Lots of us believe in nonviolence, and, and, and people wow. think we're dirty, rotten terrorists. And, wow. um, and, and in reality, it's just a bunch of people, and some of them worship hate, and some of them worship love. And that it's really about, is the dividing line for all of us, isn't it? That that is it. I want to just paint a picture for you in your head. I hope the listeners can track with this, because this was the, the for me a big conversion point, and it's actually a way to help. So, so first of all, if you can imagine a horizontal line, and that horizontal line represents justice um, in the good way. I don't mean like punishment and all that necessarily. I just mean justice. And on that line of justice, we've got these different words that revolve around that line. On this horizontal line, maybe you could picture um, freedom and rights and peace and security. And these are justice words. 
but in, I know for sure in Canada and the United States, but I found that even there more in the extreme, that line has a left end and that line has a right end and we call it left and right. And so justice to the people on the left, usually there's a, an emphasis on, on rights and freedoms. So, you know, it's my right. I should be free to whatever, to mm. abort my baby. That's a rights and freedom issue on the left, right? Right. Um, on the right, it's a peace and security kind of issue. So Christians mm. on the right or people on the political right, they emphasize um, peace and security. And so that means, um, often that means, well, we're going to sanctify violence uh, through capital punishment. Mm. So whether you're on the right or the left, you've got a kind of sanctified violence, whether it's against the unborn baby or if it's against a serial killer mm. and we obsess about where we are on the line we obsess about where we are where our politicians are on the line and our theologians are on the line um, and, and and so if you could see this left right line and what and what happens in our culture is we don't see how it just sinks lower and lower and lower mm. um, until until um and the lower that line sinks towards death and hatred and self-will and self-centeredness, the further we're polarized from each other. Mm. Mm. And so, um, so it's, it's sinking down. And wanna, what, what I saw over there and what I'm realizing is if you could see cutting right through that line, the uh, um, vertical line, mm. one going up and down, and and uh, Christ calling us to rise up on that line. So this this line where at the the bottom of it is like hatred and death and self-will. The top of that vertical line would be like love and shalom and um, self-giving, radically forgiving love. So that's as we're ascending now, and mm. that line is. If we took our left-right line and, and we just started raising the whole bar of justice up further and further towards towards Christ's call to self-giving love and radical forgiveness, um, the, the people on the two ends of the line get closer together. The polarization mm. is minimized so that people even that I disagree with, people on the left and right, can if they, if they will leave that... We'll call it the x-axis. If they'll leave that horizontal line and say, "I'm not about left or right. I'm going to. I'm about. I'm about love, and I'm about forgiveness, and I'm about mm. grace." You know. And so, what we want to do is is help lift the line of justice to where Christ has called it to be, not have it sinking down into that demonic place, as if as if death is justice somehow. Mm. So wow. left and right versus life and death or or love and hate. And where this where I found this really amazing over in the West Bank, in, in Palestine and in Israel, is if I would draw this on a piece of paper, you know, I draw a cross on the paper, I draw left and right on the horizontal line, I draw love at the top and hate at the bottom of this cross. And I'd show them how the, the line of justice can move up and down. The first thing they surprised me with is they said, this is exactly right. 
like this is exactly what's happening this is it this is the and then the other thing is even if they were like um an ngo you know uh like uh somebody working for world vision or somebody working for the Mennonite central committee and so on if you're an activist and you're doing advocacy works for especially for oppressed people mm-hmm. it's so easy to get hooked onto that that left right line or we could also call it the us them line i guess you vilify the the side of the oppressor right you vilify the oppressors exactly so you still are vilifying so you're right. still on the wrong axis and right. so what i could what I could say is, look, at, I think I think you're here in the line. I see you getting tired, and I see you getting angry, and I see your eyes are red, and you're starting to hate some of the people that have oppressed the boys and girls, the men and women you work with. And, and I'm calling you. I want to encourage you to come off that line up mm. onto this other line. And mm. And I want to tell you how I already see you doing that, too loving mm. instead of hating, forgiving instead of resenting, doing peace instead of acts of violence. And, and over and over again, they would go, yeah, I want to do that. I wow. can do that. I need to do that. I forgot, you know? And wow. they were so, they were able, I would call that repenting. Man. And and I want, I, I would love to see, I'd love to see all of us, all of our viewers. I need, I'm, I'm, you know, preaching to me too here, I need to make a daily choice of repenting of the us-them left-right wow. mentality and and getting onto the other ascending sort of divine growth mentality towards love and reconciliation. You can't have... Reconciliation is not finding the center of the old line. <laughs> Being a centrist mm. is not reconciliation. Mm, mm. Um, rec- reconciliation is meeting the other side, you know, and, and, um, and saying, what if it's not us, then what if it's I, thou, and eventually we, wow. Um, so wow. that's what I was seeing there. And, um, the beauty of it was that they could always, not only could they say this makes sense and I want to do this, but they could give me testimonies of people who already are, Hmm. I'll just tell you no. one quick one. <laughs> Here's a quick one. Uh, um, um, a Jewish man lost a member of his family to a Palestinian rocket attack. Mm. I, I think it might have been a brother. A uh, Palestinian woman who had lost a child when a when, when an Israeli soldier had, had shot her child. Mm. And these guys get together and they start donating blood to the I other saw side. This. I saw this. This Didn't is you, amazing. It'd be great to put the link up on your site, Submarket. Yeah, so I, I actually shared this Jewish on... Jewish man and a Palestinian woman saying, I can't, I can't shoot someone on the other side. They might be having my blood in them. <laughs> I, I, I shared this on Facebook, and I tell you, Brad, when I watched it, I guess it's been three or four months ago when I watched that. I tell you, it just brought tears to my eyes because I thought, these people knowingly or unknowingly are living out the message of Jesus. Yep. So who's the follower of Jesus? The one who says they are or the one who doesn't? Mm. So, so see, Brad, this is okay. This, <laughs> and this might have to be a conversation for another time. I don't, I don't know how deep we can get into this, but 
it really raises a lot of questions as to um, how you how you remain distinctly a follower of Jesus in the in the idea of Jesus as Lord, and simultaneously um, get rid of the us them uh, dichotomy. You know mm-hmm. how how do we how do we remain distinctly believers in Jesus, followers of Jesus, uh, Jesus as our Lord, and simultaneously embrace the other? Like it almost seems like you compromise your distinctiveness when you get rid of the dichotomy, and it almost seems like you compromise, um, you know, the the other way around. If you you can either compromise your distinctiveness or you can you can so get into your own little enclave of people that agree with you that you miss the other person. Yeah. Where is the balance here? This yeah. is what I'm struggling with. Yeah. You know what? I, so balance might even be the wrong word because it could be trying mm. to find a center place on, on an impossible conundrum, right? Good um, point. But, but of all people, you, wouldn't, you, you would believe the guy who helped me with this as I was leaving Israel. I needed a ride to the airport and um, from from like Bethlehem to Tel Aviv. And I run into this guy who's a reporter for a news magazine, or a, he calls it a Zionist watchdog group in Washington. Mm. He writes mm. for them. They had been just very, very uh, on the attack of this conference and actually mm vilified it and and slandered it and it was even with things that weren't true this guy worked for them he was on assignment for them um he was sent by them to go to the conference and to tell on us basically (laughs) i'm I'm calling it us because i i I could I, i was identifying with the message but i was there just like him so here's two reporters and this guy this guy's there with an agenda he's been assigned the agenda so we're we're in it he said, I'll give you a ride. So we get we spent an hour together in the car, and then we spent an hour in the security lineup at the airport. And he, and he tells me his story. And he goes, you know what? I was with YWAM, and uh, he was a teacher for YWAM. He still does sometimes. But he's wanted to make a difference in terms of applying his faith in to uh, sort of a politics of justice. And his idea was working for these guys. <laughs> <laughs> uh, like, and, and, um, and then he said, I've been doing it for 10 years and he would see himself as an advocate. He would see himself as an advocate advocate against anti-Israeli propaganda. Mm, mm. Um, and he said, but I, here's my conclusion after 10 years, I will give you 50 advocates for one good evangelist right now. I'm like, what? <laughs> I, yeah. There's a time I would have given 50 evangelists for one good advocate. And he goes, <laughs> he goes the thing is, it's, we, we've got to invite people to Jesus. That's the mm. thing. And so, so when we're saying, okay, well, what's this mean for the Muslim who's working for Christian peacemaker teams? Or what does this mean for a Gandhi who's trying the Sermon on the Mount and all of that? Right, right. And, and, and the cool thing for me is whenever I got to meet somebody from any faith there, the reference point for just peacemaking was Jesus. Wow. And so I was always calling people to the Jesus way. I was always saying, you know what? This, they're like, 
even the Arab Spring. I've talked to I've talked to people who are like into the Arab Spring, right? They're saying right. here's the here's the um, here's what's running the Arab Spring. There is a movement of people among the Muslims who saw the example of Martin Luther King and Gandhi, and they're mm. saying our violent ways aren't working. We've got to try something else. Let's mm. try the Gandhi Martin Luther King nonviolent thing. So even even one of the most militant um, Muslim groups in Yemen, these guys are armed all the time. When they go to a protest, they go, oh, we have a protest. Got to leave our guns at home. Wow. Why are they doing that? Oh, and they, they'll tell you why they're doing it. Oh, because we're trying this other way that we wow. learned from Martin Luther King and Gandhi. Well, guess who Martin Luther King learned it from? He learned it from Gandhi. <laughs> Where did Gandhi learn it from? Tolkien. Not Tolkien, I'm sorry. Tolstoy. Where did Tolstoy learn it from? Oh, it, the Sermon on the Maybe Mount. Maybe the Sermon on the Mount. <laughs> yeah. And so wow. I, I've even got, you, you know, Gandhi was specifically uh, engaging in letters with Tolstoy about his books on the kingdom of God coming through the Sermon on the Mount. So, okay, mm-hmm. I don't have to... I don't have to determine whether Gandhi's, a, a, uh, you know, said this in his prayer or not, or whether a Muslim who's working for Christian peacemaker teams has said this in his prayer or not. But I am directly calling them to follow Jesus, and I'm wow. not even embarrassed about it. I didn't have to to tiptoe around the topic at all. I'm like, this is a, this is the Sermon on the Mount, and this is what we've got to do, and it's the only thing that's gonna, you know make a difference here and they're going I know that's where we're trying it see that that is so even even for someone like me um who you know I you know I felt like I've been going down this road but even even though I felt like I've been going down this road more and more every time I think of something like that it's really mind blowing because we have been so indoctrinated with things like like you said like the sinner's prayer or like you know signing off on a creedal statement or something like that that we have actually, in the West, we've actually been calling people to follow all of these other things except for Jesus's real message. Yeah, yeah. Which is my, I mean, as you're saying this, it's even like, you know, oh my gosh, we're missing the whole point. Yep. Yeah, and and on t- I would want to say this. I, for me, this is another thing that's been on. It's, it's weird that I'd have another life-changing conversion like a month after I was there. And it, it was this, as I've tried to, to bring this message, um, I've been stymied more and more and more, including by Christians, to a point of despair and, and to say, <laughs> I had a, I just about had a tantrum at the Vancouver Public Library over this. The, the, the hatred in the room was so bad. Mm. Christians, Palestinian, Muslims, and, and Jews as I'm sharing these narratives and calling them to peace. And then the question and answer time, they're just like, it was just war again. Mm. And finally mm. I got up and I said, they wouldn't even, they couldn't even agree on what to call it. Oh, you know, they were, it was bad enough. You call it Israel and we call it Palestine and vice versa. And so wow. I said, I have a proposal. Let's drop both names and call it the nut house of hatred. How about that? <laughs> <laughs> and they're like, what? <laughs> and I, I said, there will be no justice and there will be no peace in as long as there as we put um, a rock pile 
in the Middle mm. East ahead of human life. And if we put ancestors who are worm food already ahead of the living people who lived across the wall from us, you yes. may as well forget it. And so what was happening is I was despairing, right? And I realized, what if, what if my despair is my emotions way of saying, uh, this, this, the, the requirement is surrender. You keep, so, so what I, I think that's probably the next phase of my message is like, you can try the Jesus way for 10 years or five years, but you'll get frustrated unless you actually bow to him mm. as your Prince of Peace. You don't, mm. you don't just say, I'm going to borrow Jesus methods. Yeah. Cause yeah. that's not even working. So, you know, mm. you've got, and I, I need to work out how to, how to say that with my Jewish and Palestinian friends that I have now. It's like, you, you're doing so well following the way of Jesus. Um, Without his strength. <laughs> well, and maybe some of them with it, but, but yeah, the, this, it raises the question, doesn't it? It's like, it does. are, you, are you actually just like trying his way or are, are, do you realize this won't work till you surrender to him? Mm. But I don't think that's any less of a message for Christians at this point. Well, that, that's you know. the thing that it, it really does raise the question, you know, because, um, you know, this is just something I'm really I've really been pondering for a while now, Brad, is, you know, what really even is a believer in Jesus? I'm, I don't want to ask what's a Christian, because I think yep. Yep. to me, the term Christian is so loaded with baggage um, that I just want to know, what does it mean to be a disciple? What does it mean to be a disciple? Does it mean, you know, praying the sinner's prayer? Uh, just peacemaking, you know, all these different things, or is it, is it simply following the message of Jesus? And I don't want to make it sound like it's an either or proposition, but you raise some really good points when you talk about a couple of uh, Muslim people who are working for world vision, trying yeah. to further, you know, just peacemaking in the mess in the way of Jesus. Yeah. I mean, it starts raising questions about, okay, are, you know, what is what does it mean to be a disciple you know i yeah. mean it really raises a lot of questions brad yeah yeah i've been reading um brian zahn's book beauty will save the world have you heard that one yet i, I actually have a pre-release copy of that book sitting on my shelf that i got that was sent to me at work that i haven't picked up yet oh that's got to be your next book man this is unbelievable he's a, he's a friend of mine and uh, he would probably love to be on your podcast sometime. And he, I read talked... his book Unconditional and loved it. Okay, loved that book. Well, he, I didn't realize he what I was doing with these x axes and y axes, like the horizontal and vertical line. He's he's even using some of the same language, and he talks about the axes of power enforced by violence, mm. and then it's just who's the strongest at the moment, right? Oh, is it the Muslims strongest at the moment? Is it, is it the Jews strong? It's still the same axes of power enforced by violence. And then he says um, that Jesus came with a new axis. And so to your question, what is a follower of Jesus? Here's what he says. Follower of Jesus is someone who's come into Christ's orbit around the axes of love. And to do that, we must really believe in Jesus really believe in Jesus. Yes, believe the orthodox doctrines of his virgin birth, divine identity, bodily resurrection, but also believe the gospel he proclaimed, the gospel mm. of the kingdom of God, 
where the ordering principle and central axis is co-suffering love and radical forgiveness. Mm. So I'm like, well, we're, we've been talking on the phone too much. I'm, we're plagiarizing each other now. <laughs> it, uh, <laughs> I, I just totally, he wrote that before I picked up some of this. And some of it's from coming from Archbishop Lazar and all of that. But the, So he's saying, he's saying, practically speaking, a follower of Jesus is one who's actually orbiting around this new ordering principle for the world called the kingdom of God. Mm. If you're mm. orbiting around that, you'll meet Jesus. Mm. If you're not orbiting around that, you might want to ask if you've met Jesus. It's just, wow. so I don't have to manage who's met Jesus, but I better be checking if I have. Yeah, and if good. I'm not ordering mm. my life around those principles of, of love and, and forgiveness, then, then, uh, well, then I'm not following him, even if I'm a Christian. That's a great call, Brad. That's a great call. Wow. That, that, that's mind blowing. Yeah. I've, I've got that book still sitting in cellophane on my shelf. That's going to have to be one that's, that gets popped open real soon. <laughs> Let me ask you, Brad, how, how do you feel like this, this experience, how has it changed you? I mean, I know, I know you're talking about the, the different ways you're looking at, but what did you practically take away from this that you said, I can implement this into my life and something I've learned from this that's going to really make a difference in my day-to-day walk with God? Um, the, the, no, there's a few things. Um, one is I'm much, much more attentive to narratives and how they function now. And so um, that sounds pretty technical, but I'll, here's a practical example. And that is with um, with Easter, I started thinking about, you know, even our whole discussions around the afterlife and Sheol and the grave and Hades. And I thought, that's not about the afterlife. That's about our fear. We That's, that's a story we tell ourselves uh, around our fear of death. Mm. And although I completely believe you know, the literal resurrection and I'm looking forward to mine, the story I tell myself about the resurrection is also a story about my joy in life now, where I've been mm. delivered from that old death anxiety into a life of joy and hope. So I'm, I'm, I'm trying to be way more attentive to the stories I tell myself and why I'm telling them to myself and how, which ones are wholesome and which ones are not. Hmm. And then the other, the other thing that comes to mind is this, um, is my proneness to, to the us, them mentality Hmm. and, and, um, and my own need to repent of that, uh, of Hmm. the left, right spectrum and transcend it and, and, pull myself out of that into politics of, uh, of, uh, of love mm. and reconciliation. That almost sounds like a, um, diametrically opposed term, doesn't it? The politics of love. <laughs> Talk it, about it, turning the term on its ear. <laughs> yeah. No kidding. No kidding. <laughs> Especially yeah. in an election year down here. It's uh... <laughs> that's right. Well, that's, I mean, that would be a great application of it, right? Is, is to say, look, look at how polarized everyone is and there needs to be a repentance of Christians. Let's just start with Christians. Christians need to repent of being embedded on the wrong axis. And they need yes. to be called off of that into a different message. 
and if that means they can't hold political office, then I guess that's okay. Well, <laughs> and, I, and I think, Brad, I mean, I think it really does come down to a lot of that. I mean, I've, you know, I've kind of got a strong opinion when it comes to politics and it's mm-hmm. not that it's not that I'm, um, that I'm necessarily saying I'm right, but I'm just at the place where I just, it's hard for me to understand how you can be a follower of Jesus and simultaneously get involved in the political system and hold office and all that kind of thing. I'm just, that's kind of where I'm at right now. Yeah. And a lot of that comes down to exactly what you're saying. When you get into that political arena, it seems like you get on that axis yeah. that is so polarizing that you really can't, you know, you can't love your enemies because you've got to vilify them to make sure that you stay secure, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And, and so it really raises the question, you know, with a situation like um, the Israeli Palestinian conflict, you know, how do we, how do we bring the politics of justice there without, without getting in the political arena, you know? And, And I think, you know, you've given some great examples of how these people are going, and the fact that you've just got people escorting children to school. Yeah, that hit me is just absolutely beautiful. That someone, yeah. someone didn't have this grandiose vision of I'm going to go and be the next Billy Graham and you know save millions of people and all of this kind of thing. But they said, no, I'm going to go escort a child across the street and on their yeah. way to school so that they can get there safely. I mean. That's beautiful. That's just beautiful. Yeah. There there that's the only way. There's um what what Jeff Helpers from the Israeli committee against post demolitions told me is he, he said this there is no there is no top down political solution here at all. Forget oh, so about good. it completely. So he said um he said, you know the whole one state solution idea? Um it absolutely cannot work. And then he gave me ten reasons why not. And then he said, you know, the two-state solution, it absolutely can't work. And here's why not. And he gave me a bunch of reasons. And then he said, and the current state of managed hostility can't last. And here's why not. And I'm like, then what's going to happen? And he said, oh, it's probably all going to blow up again. But if you want to help someone, you have to do it from just grassroots capacity making for people's lives. And and uh, that's part of, you know, so th- there's actually not a political process that, there isn't one. You you couldn't even say if I had all power to fix this politically, uh, you'd be checkmated right off the bat. I tell you, Brad, it reminds me of you know you remember Jesus's parable of the um, of the mustard seed and how he said when it when it's planted in the garden, it's the smallest of all the seeds, but then it grows up into a tree. Yeah. And you know it's it's. And then he went on to talk about the the parable of the leaven that starts as a little bit, but then it takes over the whole loaf and, you know, all of these kinds of different things. And as I think about Jesus's parables, it seems like he's emphasizing the fact that it has to start small, that it Mm -hmm. has to be an intentionally small grassroots type thing. And that when that begins to become the norm, instead of trying to do the top down game, that change actually happens. It might be painfully slow. But it actually does happen. Yep. Yeah. Well, and it unfortunately it's a really narrow door. Um, you know, we've been so trite with with um, with the golden rule. And uh, my understanding this this comes from from Brian Zond. Also, um, what he told me one day is that when we read about 
Jesus' words that broad is the way that leads to destruction, narrow is the way that leads to life. Um, that's not a mystery about what he's talking about. It comes right after the golden rule. It says, here's mm. the golden rule. Um, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. And guess what? That's a narrow gate, and no one wants to go through it. Almost no wow. one will go through it. And wow. and I'm like, but it's such a simple thing. It's like it's it's not simple when you're over there. Wow. It's like that that's a hard sell to anybody. Mm. And mm. Um, all I hear about you, you know over and over uh, uh, is, well, you know what they did? <laughs> it's like, yeah. Yeah. So we have to. You know, and we have to do this, and we have to justify this violence or that oppression because what they did was this, and they they killed our children this way. And it's like, okay, so we'll just wow. go around the mountain again. And it's like, you know, there's a narrow door away from that mountain, and it's mm. it's so crazily simple, um, but yet, but who's gonna do it? You know, <laughs> it, and, it's uh, like um, you you turned me on to um, Desmond Tutu. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've been reading some Desmond Tutu lately, and, and you know, one of his famous statements is, "There's no future without forgiveness." And I think yeah. that really is where we've come to, in, in especially in this conflict, is until someone's willing to let go of the injustice that's been done to them and say, "I'm not going to repay in kind," there really can't be a future. Yeah. Yeah. So we, I'm, I, I'd say we need to be praying because there's people who are who are they're giving that a try, but they're getting weary. Yeah. Um, they're 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 uh, many are on the verge of saying we tried that and we're giving up and sometimes you know i heard about a rally where 500 people used to show up to just to, to make a statement about of nonviolence and uh, anti-hatred uh and now there's like 20 showing up it's like wow. where'd they all go it's like the day-to-day grind and it's killing them mm. and after it kills them then they'll be very very vulnerable just to you know, to, to be recruited by terrorists or army or whoever's the, the more violent of the day, you know? Mm, And so, so uh, that people would not give up on, on forgiveness and reconciliation because, um, because it has gotten much worse there, even in the last uh, 12 weeks, Mm. the oppression's worse. The retaliation's begun again. And I'm like, Oh, and you know what? It may need to wait for another century before someone's willing to, to stick to the way of the cross. Hmm. Hope not, you know? Yeah, yeah. Well, I just hope that, you know, as, we, as we're as we talking about this, I, I'm, I'm coming to the reality that the only, the only change that I can make is me. Yeah. And that I, you know, I can pray for these other situations, but... Brad, I'm at the place where I want to implement this in my life, where I want yeah. to live that way. And, you know, as challenging as it is when it, when your, you know, physical existence isn't even being threatened, yeah. um, I can't even imagine what they're in. But I tell you, just in the stories that you've told me and, and the things I've read that, that you've written, it's really encouraged me to say, I want to do this you know, come hell or high water, because it's kind of like, I remember reading the politics of Jesus by um, John Howard Yoder. And yeah. he talked in that book about how, I, I think it was in there, how it has, 
our call to nonviolence and and suffering love has absolutely nothing to do with effectiveness but with faithfulness. Mm. And that until we get that right, until we quit looking at the results, until we quit looking at whether and, and I guess this really comes down to what you were talking about with you can't just try this without accepting Jesus, you know, without accepting that the Jesus who came up with this is your Lord, that he is the Prince of Peace. Yeah, and um, that the and that the end game of it is a cross. It's not a crown. Yes, yes. <laughs> or, because, or crown after really, the cross. Until we're willing to until we're willing to go there and say, I'm willing to take this message to the bitter end, yeah. we really haven't embraced it because That's like you it. said, that probably is where it leads most of the time. Yeah, yeah. If I I, I kinda wanna say it is a better way and it actually is a more effective way, but, but I think what you're saying is absolutely critical. It's like if it depends on that, you know. Right. Right. Then then, then at some point you will betray it like Judas did. Well, I mean, if like, if if you judge the measure of its effectiveness on Good Friday, yeah, then you're going to abandon the program. But if yeah. you wait until Resurrection Sunday, you know, uh, the problem is most of us want to give up on Good Friday or really yeah. the Thursday before, you know. Yeah, exactly. Hmm. Yeah, such good stuff, Brad. Wow, I'm just uh, you. You've really this is this has really helped me. I hope it's helped our listeners. I know that this is. A topic that we frequently talk about, we frequently get a lot of pushback on it. Um, of all the, we talk about so many controversial things on this podcast, but I tell you, um, nonviolence is definitely the hardest pill to swallow. And I think it does come down. And I'm, I don't want to be super spiritual here or over spiritualize something, but I think it really does come down to what you were saying, Brian's onset about the narrow gate. That it is a tough. You know, it's tough to fit your your violent camel through the eye of the peaceful needle, you know. And yeah. um, so I just want to thank you for taking the time to, you know, not only to go over there and to be part of this, but to be willing to share it with our listeners, to be willing to share it with me. And um, I just hope that we can take this and whatever circles we're running in, that we can we can bring the true message of Jesus about the kingdom of God and see that kingdom established at least in our little domain. And if enough of that us do that, maybe that leaven will really eventually take over the loaf, which is, I think, mine and your hope for the future. Amen. Thank you, everyone, for listening. Thank, we will join you next time. Thanks so much, Brad. Appreciate it. You're welcome. Brad, thank you once again so much for being on the podcast. We just really appreciate you, brother. I just consider you a dear brother in the Lord, a great friend, and just consider it a pleasure to know you. So thank you so much for joining us. Um, guys, I really hope you've gotten a lot out of this conversation. I feel like there was a lot of good stuff that came out of this. Um, I know for myself, just in the process of talking to Brad, just you know, some things really click when it comes to talking about what does it mean to really follow Jesus? You know, for so long in evangelicalism, we've been told it's about praying a sinner's prayer or about daily devotions and praying and just all this stuff when really it's funny how we can do all those things and actually ignore the message of Jesus, which is about love, peace, reconciliation with God and with others. And so it really does get fascinating when you consider that there's people out there that are following that path that aren't naming the name of Jesus. And it really brings up some sticky questions. Um, I'd really love to hear your input on this. Uh, 
we would, you know, not only on this, but on any podcast we do, on any conversation we're having on Facebook or on the website, we always welcome your input. We just really appreciate you guys, the community that we have with the listeners. Um, I don't consider you guys just listeners. I really consider you fellow travelers on this journey. And so many of you have contributed to my journey with Christ. And I just want to thank you guys for that. And I just look forward to interacting with you guys. Each time I see an episode go up, I'm always looking forward to seeing um, not only the pats on the back, but really just whether it's the pushback or the conversation that's generated. I just always enjoy that and appreciate it. And I just appreciate you guys. So if you'd like to connect with us, you can go to beyondtheboxpodcast.com. Leave, leave your comment on um, the particular podcast that it relates to. Or if you want to leave an idea, maybe you've got an idea for a future podcast, put it under the idea submission. Some of you guys might not think that we actually pay much attention to that because we seem to go all over the map. But we actually do read those and take those seriously. We don't always address every one of them, maybe because we don't feel like we're really equipped at the, at the moment to do a conversation on it. Um, but please know that we do value those. We value your comments. I don't, I, I really, um, I, I speak for Steve and myself both when I say we really know that we don't have all the answers and that we're far from it and that we need input, that we really believe. Steve said a long time ago, he believed that the mind of Christ was a corporate reality. That when Paul said, you have the mind of Christ, that that you was a corporate Y-O-U. That it was speaking to the body. So together we have the mind of Christ. So when we get together, um, we really are able to fill out each other's weaknesses and each other's holes. And so I, ju I just really look forward to the inter interaction with you guys. And I'm just really grateful for it. And I want to thank you for doing it. So go to beyondtheboxpodcast.com. Leave your comment, leave your question, leave your disagreement, whatever you want to leave, we welcome it. Also, the, probably the greatest place that we've found for community is our, our Facebook page, facebook.com slash beyond the box. If you go there, um, really, it's, it's wide open. We post our episodes there, and you can listen to our episodes directly from the Facebook page um, and leave your comments on those particular posts if you want to do that instead of the website. But also, it's just a great place for community. We have all sorts of people that just bring up topics that they're interested in or a question that they have or something they've been thinking about that they want to get some feedback on. They put that on there. And people are able just to kind of go free for all on it and just really leave their input and discuss with each other. And it's really become a cool community and I'm really grateful for it. So check that out. You can go, go to the Facebook page and feel free to put anything up there that you want to, anything you want to talk about, we leave it wide open. Um, you can go to, you can subscribe to our Twitter feed. That's mainly to notify you when a new episode is posted. Um, that's twitter.com slash BTB podcast. And last, but definitely not least, is our Call Me feature. If you go to beyondtheboxpodcast.com, we've got a little widget on the right-hand side that says leave an audio comment, and you'll see a big telephone that says Call Me. If you click that, you can actually type in your name and your telephone number, and when you hit connect, we will actually, our our phone will actually call you back and let you leave a message for us. So you can, you know, leave if you're just driving down the road and you think, golly, I really want to get this out, just pick up that cell phone and call this number. Call 626-246-6269. I'm going to give that again. 
6269. That's if you're in the United States. Um, you can call 626-24-NO-BOX. That's the same number. Or like I say, just hit that little um, widget that says call me and we'll be glad to call you back. That's great for if you're driving down the road, <laughs> pull over on the side of the road. Let me let me clarify there. Pull over on the side of the road and then give us a call and, and leave your comment. Or it's a great place to leave an idea submission. It's also a great place that we would love to get um, some people to do us a big fat favor. And that's this. Get on that phone number and say, hi, my name is, followed by your name, and you're listening to Beyond the Box. So, for example, hi, my name is Rayburn Johnson from Boone, North Carolina, and you're listening to Beyond the Box. We just love throwing those at the beginning of an episode. It's always fun to hear from different listeners and to get you guys involved in part of the audio, not just the comments on the Facebook page or on the website. So if you'd like to do that, call that number, 626-24-NO-BOX, 626-246-6269. And make sure to visit bradjerzak.com, B-R-A-D-J-E-R-S-A-K.com. Brad's got a lot of great resources there. You can check out his books, which he's just really got some great stuff, especially in my mind, Her Gates Will Never Be Shut and Stricken by God. Those are excellent, excellent reads. And I'm sure his other ones are too. I just haven't gotten around to them yet. But check out his resources there. He's also got um, another podcast that he does called the Enjoying God Podcast, which just is really great. Has a great discussion with two other uh, men in the States that I think you'll find really enjoyable. A lot of, and a lot of the conversations there tend to dovetail into what we're doing as well. So anyway, we'd love it for you to connect with Brad. We'd love to hear from you. And we just really appreciate you listening, guys. Wherever you are, just thank you for taking the time to tune in and stick us in your ears or in your car or wherever you listen to us at work. Um, we just we consider it a privilege to be able to do this and to be able to talk to you guys. And we just thank you guys for being a part of what we're doing. So until next time, we hope you'll enjoy um, the rest of your week. And we'll catch you for another episode. <laughs> I can't even talk. <laughs> We'll catch you for another episode next time on Beyond the Box.